Yeah. Going to record. Is, yeah, we got it? Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Joe, are you ready? You look ready. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. In three, two, one. Listen. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat episode 475. I'm your host for the week, Zach Ryan, and joining me today, Brian Altano. Hello. Thomas Marks. Hello. And then all the way from the UK, our friend and yours, Joe Scrubbles. Hi, Joe. Hello. How are you? I'm well. It's, it's nighttime over there. What's that like? Uh, well, I've had a beer, so I'm doing good. <laughs> Unbelievable. You UK boys are always drinking on the podcasts. Well, I finished the drink, yeah. so technically I'm professional again. It's illegal, so, it's illegal in the United States. Joe, uh, for the listeners that don't know who you are, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, what you do for IGN, etc.? Yes, I'm the IGN UK deputy editor, which means that I just do the stuff that everyone else in the same office does, because there's too few of us. Um, but basically what I've done that makes me deserve to be on NBC is review Link's Awakening. Ah, which a polite really golf nice. clap for Joe. <laughs> well done, Joseph. Uh, we're going to talk about your review uh, later in the episode, but this week we're also going to talk about uh, Tom's time with the Nintendo Switch Lite. Oh, here it is. Uh, Joe, I thought you might want to give us some final thoughts on your Damon X Machina review, because I don't think any of us have been able to spend a ton of time on that. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Cyanar Wild Hearts, and then Tom has a very special interview prepared for us with a very special <gasps> friend of his. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just get right into it. Um, I did want to talk really quickly about some news this week, not a ton of news. Um, the first of which is that Nintendo is once again cracking down on ROMs. Uh, now, we here at IGN don't support the use of ROMs, but I did want to talk about this because Nintendo has this long history of like really being litigious about ROMs. And this week in particular, they've come down super hard on a ROM site that is selling both new Switch, uh, new Switch ROMs and old ROMs as well, uh, and they are, they're coming after them for $150,000 a piece. So for every ROM that they've put out there, they're expecting big-time money for a total of like $2 million this time around. Ooh. Yeah, um, and I just kind of wanted to get your guys' opinions, your thoughts on, on what that's looking like in this day and age with all of their, basically like their litigious outlook on, on what their stance is on ROMs. Uh, I, I mean, I, I do support ROMs. I think that legally you're allowed to own backups of video games you have physical copies of. That's how that works. And so that's totally fine. The issue here was this site was selling a subscription service to access them. Right. Which is stupid. Yeah. Like that's just straight up <laughs> stupid. Like if you're going to steal if you're going to steal stuff and just put it out there, uh, don't sell it too. Like I, I think that like there's a lot of people who basically go in and they try to find games. Um, you know, ROMs are actually they're wonderful for video game history. They're wonderful for uh, preservation. I think for people who just steal them uh, and, and don't try to access them legally, like they should be sort of a last resort. Obviously, that's there's a lot of gray area there. But to just straight up sell a subscription service to other people's goods is dumb as hell, and I think they deserve to get shut down for that. Yeah, yeah and for clarification, I will say that IGN is a as a platform as a media outlet doesn't doesn't support theft through roms not yes. not to say like your point isn't valid i just wanted to put that out there as like as a entity ign doesn't support ROMs. yeah no i mean we right. we jump through very strict hoops just to capture a video game that we could download in half a second just because we you know we're playing by the books you yeah know, it makes features difficult but um including and I, all the links awakening coverage we did yeah you know? and i, I mean, can't say that yeah. i haven't uh, definitely played metroid 
uh, or a previous Zelda on my Macintosh computer. Yeah, via I mean, ROM, there's, so. uh, there's obviously a lot. I, I played through uh, Super Mario Land one and two recently because like some fan had uh, fully colored them, mm-hmm. and it's like I own those. I own physically own those Game Boy carts. I have bought them numerous times physically and digitally. I don't know if that makes stealing this round okay. <laughs> It's again a very gray. We've all heard your rant on the original Super Mario, so I feel like in yeah. that regard, like you're probably covered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, like it's yes, it's all very nebulous and gray. I think it's very cut and dry when you sell a subscription service to access this type this type of stuff that doesn't belong to you to begin with. Um, Nintendo. There is that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. There is that weird uh, sort of semi-confirmed conspiracy theory that Nintendo used a ROM to release one of its Virtual Console Mario games. Correct. That's. A bit of fun, right. but in in a more kind of general sense, like Nintendo is pr- probably one of the most kind of common negative pieces of Nintendo like news out there is based around this ROM stuff, right. and Nintendo makes it very hard to play its back catalog. Mm-hmm. So people do find a need to catalog these ROMs. It's just when, like Brian says, selling those things is insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there, but there, there needs to be a better system for cataloging. Cat- cataloging keeping this stuff and I, I think that's dead on and, and it's very similar to, to how i feel about it i think you once you start getting into switch games and new games that's yeah. more cut mm. and dry just sort of like you just don't want to pay for this rather mm. than you're trying to find something but i think that the like how excited we were about the snes online stuff is exactly what mm. you're saying joe the 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 reason people go to roms to download those old games is because they're saying i want to be able to play this and in a lot of cases, there is not a legal way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that Nintendo is 100% within their legal right to take aggressive action against this sort of stuff, especially, as we've said again, in, excuse me, in cases where they're actually, like, the person is actually paying, like, charging money for them, which is right. ludicrous. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I think the the better way or a, a more... PR friendly way, if you will, to combat that stuff is just make these old games as easily available legally as they can possibly do it. Right, which, which I, they're also doing. They're doing. They're capable of doing that with most first and some third party stuff. But then you know arises the ethical quandary of like if a company's defunct, out of business, gone, and that is just a a game sitting there in in the archives in history, just impossible to get legally in any capacity. What do you do? Right. I mean, you can hunt. You hunt down the card on eBay. Uh, that being said, I think everyone in the world agrees selling them is is illegal. Right. right. And I wanted to close on this is Nintendo's statement. Uh, this comes via Engadget. Uh, they they're coming after this particular retailer because it's built largely on brazen and mass scale infringement of Nintendo's intellectual property rights, and that through the site, hundreds of thousands of copies of Nintendo games have been illegally downloaded. So I think it's safe to say that, like like Tom said, obviously they're going to go after these people super hard. They're well within their rights, but there's also like a present preservation angle and a rarity angle that needs to be considered in this yeah. kind of thing. So I just want to talk about that a little bit before we got into the biggest news of the week, possibly the biggest news of the year, and that is Starfetched, or I'm sorry, Surfetched has been announced for Pokemon Sword and Shield. I was like, oh no, they and didn't announce another one? <laughs> basically nothing else matters. Um, yeah. No, uh, far be it for any of us on this panel to talk uh, so candidly about Pokemon, because we're obviously not Pokemon masters, like our friend Casey DeFridis. Oh, I love but Pokemon. I, I mean, so do I, but none of us none of us have the meta knowledge that Casey does and That's I'm sure fair. that she would shed That's a fair. lot of light on this. I just wanted to talk about Sir Fetched because I think he is great. He has a sword and a shield making him the best of both games. Um 
They've been teasing this glitched Pokemon for a while, and it turns out that it's Surfetched, an evolution of uh, a duck that nobody cared about until this moment. I don't feel like Farfetched Whoa. was beloved until uh, this this story came around. Um, you want to is... talk to the Welsh, mate? Oh, <laughs> they... the Welsh love that guy. He's got a <laughs> leak. That's fair. You, you, our friend Gav is just like all about Farfetch. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is a Farfetch first evolution in 23 years, so he's coming back in a big way. Uh, but my my question to the panel here is like they talked about Surfetch being uh, uh, exclusive to the Sword version of Sword and Shield. So now that it's got better legendaries and Surfetched, like what does that mean for Shield? Is anybody looking to buy Shield? I know Paris said that he was going to do it because he loves to support an underdog. But uh, are are the is the Shield version of this game getting all the best stuff? I, I think Shield is just waiting. Or sword, I mean. Yeah, I think Shield is just waiting for whatever its version of Surfetched is, right? It won't literally mm. be a Farfetched evolution, but people were were looking at like, okay, what what sort of shelly or like defensive Pokemon will maybe get a Galarian variant uh, evolution for Shield exclusively? Can you say Galarian variant five times fast? I could, don't try, but I'm I don't think people would want right. to hear it. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's. It, I I think that this is a really really wonderful. Uh, regional evolution though it's so weird and cool i love the way that somebody pointed out on twitter that if you like take the shield and line it up with the top of the sword it actually like you can see that the farfetch like cut that leak in half and that the shield is the top half of the leak like it, it lines up like that it's very weird and cool and it's just a really really nice design i cook a lot and i could have sworn that was a green onion it, it might have evolved into a green onion. Yeah. So it's a leak. Of ve- so this is the weird thing. Do vegetables evolve? Is the leak part of the Pokemon? May- like, maybe. What's going on like, here? I don't know if it's part of his body. S- somebody, somebody tweeted at us about uh, at the NVC uh, Twitter account uh, about Question Block, and they, were, they said that they had so many questions about Surfetch because are they is that Pokemon born with the leak in the shield? Like, does <laughs> right. it form that out of its own body? Like, where does that come from? There's a lot of biological issues to be addressed with this particular Pokemon, I feel like. But I will say, uh, uh, Farfetch'd actually introduced me to the leak as a child because I also thought it was a green onion until yeah. I had the Pokemon cards that said his attack was leak slap. Uh, <laughs> quick, quick cooking tip while we're here. If you're buying leeks at the grocery store to cook with, it's sort of like a sweeter onion. Wash them. They're full of dirt. Mm. They're stone. <laughs> Seriously, like, why, give them a good rinse, pull them apart, and then chop them up. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of crannies in a leak. Yeah. you don't want any. You don't want any dirt in the crannies. Yeah, I, uh, I can like. I, I, can I, I, I made super fun up... once without without cleaning it, and it, just, it was, yeah, it was like dirt soup. Grit. <laughs> can I just can I just provide a counterpoint for a second? Sure. Uh, don't wash the leaks. I, I do. Don't wash your leaks. <laughs> Leave those leaks alone. Uh, Surfetched is the typical Pokemon bird which is to say it's just a bird, and I hate that, and all the birds in Pokemon suck, and Surfetch isn't much better. Like I think you guys have been blinded by the whole regional thing. We've got swords and shields on every street corner here. Everyone's got them. We just carry them around. That's not new to me. (laughs) Surfetch is just another duck, and until Pokemon creates a bird Pokemon in the vein of Horlucha, who is the only good bird Pokemon, there is no point in Surfetch. I'm sorry. (laughs) I have to say it. Okay. Uh, I want to close this out by asking, uh, does this sway anybody's opinion? Are they changing their vote from shield to sword? Does this change, like, which version of the game that you're going to buy? No, I was probably always going to try sword. Yeah, me too. Cooler. I want it, the, yeah. I want to be friends with this duck. I don't care what Jeff says. It re-solidifies me 
getting shield actually no oh, really why because yeah. you're such a contrarian no because i'm always going to get the less popular one because then i have more people to trade with that's fair that's a good mm. point I'm always so logical thomas yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um our last bit of news today before we move on to the big stuff um Classic Dragon Quest games are coming to the West. We finally got an announcement that the Edric Trilogy, that's Dragon Quest I, Dragon Quest II, Luminaries of the Legendary Line, and Dragon Quest Three: Seeds of Salvation, uh, will launch alongside Dragon Quest Eleven on uh, September 27th um, for $4.99, $6.49, and $12.49, respectively. And um, I think this is cool because I've been playing a lot of Dragon Quest Eleven, the demo version, very into that game, and it's nice to know that there's some history coming along with it, too. Have you guys ever messed with any of these old Dragon Quest boys? Yeah, here and there. Uh, those are huge, long, sort of tedious games, but like I, I agree, it's it's cool that, they're, that there's a, a place for them on Switch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joe, Tom, any thoughts on this? I think it's nice. I mean, I can't really, I can't really go from the uh, we should protect video game history by endorsing ROMs to saying that this is a bad move. Right. So it's great. I love it. Um, I just can't see myself playing them anytime soon. Mm -mm. I'm really glad you didn't paint yourself into a corner on that one, Joe. Uh, okay, now let's talk really quickly about what we've been playing uh, over the course of the last week. Brian, I know... I feel like I probably know what game you've been playing mostly. Uh, mostly Link's Awakening and then uh, some Goose game. Oh, yeah. Um, what, are we allowed to talk about Goose we game? can't quite talk about Goose game yet, unfortunately. Okay. But the Goose is loose. The Can goose, we say that much? The Goose will be loose soon. <laughs> okay. Goose will be loose on Friday, September 20th. Maybe if you're listening to this podcast, the Goose is already loose, and you're already doing a lot of Goose stuff. And we will have a review of Goose Game on Friday, so if you're listening to it on Friday or after, you can go check Are it out on iTunes. And you're reviewing that I game. am reviewing Goose Game. And how, how many honks will you give it? <laughs> a couple. Okay, good. <laughs> a uh, satisfactory <laughs> amount of honks. That's fair. All right. Well, uh, what, what have you been playing besides Goose Game? Um... I've been playing a lot of Sayonara Wild Hearts, which Ooh. I know we're going to talk about later. True. And then, honestly, just like a bunch of different stuff. I've just been jumping around because I've been testing the Switch Lite. So right. I've been going, I, I've played Fire Emblem, I've played Breath of the Wild, which was a treat to be back into, and I haven't played it in like a year. Uh, I was playing Mario Kart, I was playing Celeste, I was jumping as to as many different rocks as I could to try to get a vibe of as many different things as I could while playing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's mostly. The other thing I've been doing is a lot of Slay the Spire uh, on PC, actually, because they just released the fourth character into beta there. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been testing that out on PC, which will eventually make its its way to switch the Switch version. Man, I've heard so much about Slay the Spire, and in a majority of those conversations, every time I listen to it, uh, listen to them, it's like, the game doesn't really sound like it's for me, but everybody loves it so much that I feel like I should give it a shot. And given that this year I've played a lot of games that I have felt are not traditionally for me and have really enjoyed, it seems like maybe it, it's something I should try. So you think uh, I should give Slay the Spire a go? I mean, I'd, I'd recommend most people at least try it, but mm -hmm. obviously it's harder to do when it's $15 or whatever it is. Sure. Um, as we talk about Slay the Spire, full disclosure, Humble Bundle publishes it on Switch, and they are owned by Ziff Davis, our parent company, Correct. but they don't influence coverage at all, and I liked it a lot when they were not involved with it still, so there you go. Anyway, 10 out of 10 for that game. Um, <laughs> I gave it a score. I finally finished Fire Emblem, which I'm proud to say, uh, I think, I can't remember, I honestly can't remember if I finished Awakening or not, but like, uh, I'm very glad to say that I finished a Fire Emblem game uh, that was a very good game. It was very long. I spent almost 70 hours finishing that game. Uh, I have thoughts and opinions 
of how that game ended in the latter half. Joe, were you, are you playing Fire Emblem at all? Yeah, I mean, that's one of uh, many games I'm desperately trying to finish but have been interrupted constantly on. Like Astral Chain as well is yeah. another one of those ones where it just keeps, I keep having an hour and being like, this is amazing. Oh, I have to stop again. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I, not great. I really, really enjoyed Fire Emblem. I'm looking forward to the DLC. I want to do the alternate paths, but probably not for some time. Um, and I, I wanted to ask the audience a question. Uh, would you be interested in hearing NVC do a spoiler cast? There are several of us in the audience that have finished the game and have a lot of thoughts about it. I know Pear is done with it. I think uh, Casey's wrapping it up. So it'd be cool to sit down and talk about it, but I wonder if we've missed the boat because a, a lot of you have already tweeted at us saying, like, I finished the game nine times, which is crazy. Um, go outside. <laughs> do, you, but, do you have to finish all three to so like, I've actually heard, successfully do a spoiler I've cast? Heard that, I've heard that to get the true ending, to understand like the full plot, because the, the story is divided in a way that it's like, you see different sides to the story. Right. Um, and to un fully understand the plot, you, you know, you're supposed to have finished all four paths, but it's like, that's like hundreds of hours of game time. And for me, the path that I chose, I chose the black Eagles path. Um, it was such a satisfactory experience. And like, I got enough of that story that like down the line, maybe in a year or something, I'll try another path yep. and see what, what the other half of that looks like. But yeah, I'm curious to see what our audience thinks and whether or not they're interested in hearing our but hot what, takes. What if you do the spoiler cast with people who have finished them all and they spoil those endings for you? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, That's a good attitude to have. I, just, I, yeah. like, I, I feel like I have a weird thing about spoilers where like, I don't, there's, there's certain things where spoilers like don't bother me at all. I'm more interested in seeing the way that those spoilers would potentially play out. Right, right. Um, there are some franchises like Star Wars or something like that where I'm Same. like, I don't want to hear a spoiler about it. But there are a lot of things where I'm just like, yeah, I don't care. You can tell. Like Red Dead Redemption 2, I never finished. Yeah. And I just told Tina when she finished it, I was like, I'm never going to finish this game. Just tell me how it ends. And she told me the whole plot. And like <laughs> some people that would ha like they would cry. Like they would be so upset about that, you know, like. But it, it, spoilers to me are I think, so I think far you, down the line. You, if you get that information sort of foisted upon you without asking for sure. it, that, that's an issue. But if like you bail on something and then it it happens, that's you know that's that that's okay. I mean, I'm still shocked that all those space aliens came down and abducted that man in Red Dead. In Red the Dead, end. they're yeah. probably like six it's, months away from just adding that as DLC. Really, yeah, no kidding. They're doing uh, zombies now. So, Joe, uh, what else have you been playing? I know you said you've been playing bite-sized chunks of a lot of things. Yeah, so I've been doing, well, I've had a bit of Divinity, a bit of Marvel Ultimate Alliance, just trying all this stuff. But uh, this week I also got to try a game that is soon to be on Switch. So technically I've been playing a Switch game called Tangle Tower, okay. which is a detective game made by the guys that made Snipperclips. Oh, yeah. oh, man. Awesome. Kind of strange. So they made this game years ago called Detective Grimoire, um, which is basically a much worse looking version of this game coming out soon, which is a cartoony really pretty strange um murder mystery where someone has been stabbed but the murder weapon seems to be a knife in a painting and they're trying to work out how that could possibly be true curious um and so it's a bit edith finchy as well it's this one house owned by two different families who live in two sides of this house and they don't like each other and so you're going around piecing together their statements trying to work out where they were at what times and then trying to work out their secrets to find out what's happened. Um, I've played like a couple of hours and it's really good. Um, there's a lot, you have to kind of be into the idea of a lot of listening, a lot of learning. It doesn't kind of do a telltale remember me mm. uh, or re they'll remember that type thing. Sure. So you have to kind of trust that it's learning stuff behind the scenes, but I'm really enjoying it. And it's properly funny as well. Like a genuinely laugh out loud, funny game, which you don't get very often. Yeah. Um, 
it, it's out on Apple Arcade today, and it comes out for Switch hopefully in October. Oh, cool. um, so I would look forward to it. Give, I think it's really good. Give us the name of that again. Tangle Tower. Tangle Tower. Right on. Um, but I feel like you've spent the majority of your time playing Link's Awakening for review. Yes. Yeah. So let's jump right into this. Uh, the, our big topic this week. Um, Link's Awakening is out today. Well, tonight, I guess. Yes. Um, and uh, that's a real good game. Joe, you gave oh, it a <laughs> Joe. You gave it a nine point four. Mm -hmm. uh, in your review. Um, but I will say that our IGN originally gave this game a 9.5. So my first question to you is why do you hate this game so much? Uh, well, I'm fully prepared to answer this question. Thank you. It's, if you care about 10 year old, uh, review scores for games, then you should stop caring about game reviews in general. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a 9.4 based on what I currently think about it and not based on what IGN someone else used to think about it. To be so, fair, I think that know. review was by Craig Harris who gave like every Game Boy game a 10. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so to actually, be fair, he should have given that one a 10. Yeah, also true. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like I love this game. And so we, me and Brian talked a lot about it whilst we were in the process of playing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have the nostalgia for it that Brian does. I played the game when I was a kid, but I got stuck. Um, and I only completed it on the Game Boy Color version on 3DS a few weeks before reviewing this game because I oh. knew I was going to be reviewing it. Okay. Which is, I think, um, one, of the, one of the best reasons for you to review this game and not someone like me because I'm in too deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you're Stockholm Syndrome yeah, for yeah, Coughlin yeah. Island. So yeah. that's interesting um, That's interesting that you, you replayed the original version right before this new version because mm. we had a lot of people asking, should I go back and play the original version first? Should I experience this thing as its own thing and then try the original version later? Yeah, I, well, I mostly told people don't do that because it's like if mm. you waited 27 years or whatever, you can wait you know, two days. And I also like personally, I also feel like there's a bit of fatigue that happens there because it is almost a one-to-one -one remake, right? Yeah. Like you do the same yeah. things. There are the same storyline, et cetera. So, uh, what, how do you feel about that? In terms of whether people should have played, should go back and play yeah. the original. Uh -huh. I don't do it. Okay. Um, it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> to me, like, like you say, it's a one-to-one -one remake apart, you know, they've made it look different and the overworld is seamless, but Patches of grass are in the same place. Patches of dirt are in the same place. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so faithful that there isn't a need. And honestly, going back, I, I really like Link's Awakening. This is going to sound like I'm not into it. There's stuff I don't like about that game in its Game Boy form. There's, there's elements of the dungeons I don't think are as strong as other Zelda dungeons. There's a bit of a sort of hidden object puzzle element to it, which I don't like as much as the gear gating puzzles that most Zelda games go for. But so much of that is based around just not being able to find things. Mm -hmm. And the new version, the, the graphical upgrade makes all that stuff so much easier to understand. And it doesn't feel like you're being stopped because you can't see something. It feels like you're stopped because there's an actual puzzle to solve, which yeah. is so much more satisfying. You're, you're also spending, uh, because of the, the items being permanently mapped to so many buttons, you're spending statistically hours and hours less time inventory managing and jumping in and assigning things to one of the two primitive Game Boy buttons, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, just uh, just having a full, like, a full set of buttons that you would expect on a modern controller is, a, like, an actual game changer. And it's crazy to say that because... That's such a tiny change, but no, it, it I, completely changes the feel of the game. I was saying last week on the show that uh, I played so much of the original that just sort of in instinctually I was jumping in and trying to equip my sword. And I was like, oh, I have that forever. 
the shield yeah. forever. I have like Pegasus boots forever. The the you know the power bracelet to lift rocks up. You, ha- you used to have to equip that, and now it's just yeah. there. It's just a you know it's sort of this automatically equipped item. Um, but yeah, the skeletal frame of this game is identical. The coat of paint is fantastic. There's obviously uh, you talked a little bit about it too. There's a little bit of you know uh, frame rate hiccup stuff, which mm. happens specifically in Mabe Village and in the Animal Village. I think that's where the game is sort of the most taxed in terms of how much is happening at once, but it never happens underground in any of the dungeons. And it doesn't really interface with anything that you're doing in the overworld in terms of combat. Mm. So I've never died from it, but it's definitely something that's a little bit noticeable. Then again, like there's games like Bloodborne, right? One of my favorite games of all time. It has terrible frame rate at times. Breath of the Wild shipped with massive issues. Well, in, that's what I was going to say. is like areas. contractually, uh, every Zelda game on Switch has to have one area that has bad frame rate. That's yeah. just the law. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild had the the forest, and yep. this one sounds like maybe Village is the frame rate. Area, but like, it's good to know that Nintendo's playing within legal boundaries. So, yeah, and in, yeah. in terms of like adding new content, uh, they doubled the amount of seashells and heart pieces, and they added a bunch of like sort of Nintendo figurines that you can you know put on pedestals around town. But I'm <laughs> sort of happy that they didn't really like reboot the entire thing or, you know, George Mm. Lucas it and like add a bunch (laughs) of stuff that like would have made it worse. Um, I do think it's like still one of the best and also probably one of the easiest Zelda games, but I don't know if you got to play hero mode at all. Did you play hero mode? I've, I've touched it, but I haven't played a great deal of it because ultimately I actually don't usually find hero mode very exciting. Like the pleasure of a Zelda game to me is in finding out what those puzzles are and right. in finding that story and that that kind of feel of it. I'm not in it for the challenge. Like as soon as I tried master uh not master trials, like the hero mode stuff in Breath of the Wild, I suddenly went, Oh, it's cool there's a silver line all over there. Right. But I don't ever want to play this version of the game. Yeah, I actually wasn't crazy about the master or the master mode stuff in Breath of the Wild yeah. because of the auto regenerating enemy health. I felt that like oh, yeah. you couldn't really like Dark Souls it and fake your way through and just like bash a dude to death with rocks until your you mm. know, all your stuff broke. Um whereas Link's Awakening, the hero mode is like it's properly difficult. It's uh mm. It is that no enemies in the game drop hearts. There are no hearts in any bushes. There, uh, when you kill mini bosses, fairies don't appear. Uh, there are areas and levels like the tail cave, the first, the first dungeon, where there's just hearts floating right after you get the rock's feather to show you you can jump in the air and get them. They just yank those right out. So like any sort of like hearts that you would find naturally in the overworld are gone. You can get bottles now, which is new for the game, and you can put fairies in them, but there are only three in the whole game, and that's like... It only brings you so far. Right. And three so, bottles, not three fairies, right? Three, yeah, three yeah. bottles. <laughs> so I think Wind Waker did a similar thing where their hero mode was like yeah. no hearts anywhere. Um, and that's Wind Waker HD. And that's like a, how I prefer to play that game because that game is very, very easy if you yep. don't play in hero mode. Um, I'm curious for first timers who are looking for a challenge, is hero mode in Link's Awakening too challenging? Or is it like if you're like hardcore, do you want to start there? No, I think it's not. I don't think it's too challenging. The thing is I was able, I beat... Link's Awakening twice already, and the first time I I, I finished it, uh, I died once, which was an accident because I thought a fairy would kick in automatically. It didn't. I had to automatically release that. Uh, and the second time I played through, I died zero times. So it gives you a little gravestone next to your save file and a star when you beat it that has a number of deaths. And it was zero for for me on my regular playthrough. I got every heart, every collectible. I'm on hero mode now, and I've died something like 
27 times oh boy. by the by the third dungeon. But when you die, it kind of respawns you pretty close to where you, uh, when you're in the overworld, pretty much right near where you had just died. And when you're in a dungeon back at the beginning, but there's like, you know, there's certain fast travel elements around dungeons that help a little bit. Um, if this is your, if you've played 2D Zelda games before, or you're looking for a challenge, start with hero mode. If you've never played this game before, if you're not familiar with old school 2D Zeldas, just start with the base game. It's a good time. I don't think that like the purpose of this game is to be frustratingly difficult. Like it's a, no. it's a fun, beautiful, heartwarming, dark, <laughs> charming, weird adventure. And I think it's like worth experiencing in however you feel comfortable. Um, I think I, it says a lot that hero mode is available from the start as well. Cool, like yeah. it gives you that choice straight away. So it's not like a, you finish the game now, play it again in hard mode. It's yeah. do you, do you want a harder game? Yes. There you go. That's the version of the game you play now. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, speaking of harder games, uh, has anybody, have either of you had much time to spend with the uh, dungeon creator? Yes, I, yeah? I completed it. Okay, what yeah. do you think of that? Uh, so it was something that I was a initially not crazy about um, because it's sort of tedious. Uh, Dompe, who is the weird gravekeeper man from Ocarina of Time, basically has a house in this game where the camera shack used to be in the Game Boy Color game. Mm. So that's actually the only thing missing in this remake is the camera stuff, but it's been replaced with this entirely new mode. Now, throughout your main campaign, you'll unlock tiles that you can bring and you don't actually see with them unlock. You basically come back to Dompe and he'll be like, tell me about your adventures. And then it'll be like this five seconds of silence where Link is apparently talking. And then sure. he'll be like, oh, wow, that sounds crazy. Well, anyway, here's a bunch of cool new dungeon tiles. So it doesn't actually make sense, but it's fine. Uh, and so yeah, I, love the, you... I love the implication of of Link just being like, yeah, so there was this room. It was, uh, <laughs> I it fought was a four bird. blocks wide. <laughs> yeah. uh, there were two blocks at the yep. either corner, and one had to be pushed into place to the left. There's a rabbit like... you could only kill with pots, and Dompey's like, yeah, I'm going to write all that down. Oh, cool. Here's a, <laughs> here's a tile. Uh, so they give you all these tiles, and so Dompey starts giving you challenges, and the way they work is they'll basically be a grid, and it'll be like heart-shaped, or they'll be like... Like, you know, put a starting point and put a boss. And the more you play, the more bosses you unlock, the more uh, sort of dungeon pieces you unlock. And so eventually you're able to fill out these massive grids with custom levels. And he'll add sort of qualifiers like you only have three hearts for the whole thing. Or you have to finish the whole thing in five minutes or blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's interesting and it's cool and it gets like better and better and better. And then it just starts to kind of drag on and get tedious. Mm. Um, the last 12 or 13 challenges he give you are kind of difficult, but also just kind of slow and cumbersome, and the reward for them are just rupees. And by this point in the game, you've probably bought everything you need. Also, the worst element of this mode, uh, which is entirely optional, by the way, although it is the only way to get the third bottle, is that you can't share these levels with anybody else unless you scan an amiibo and then hand them uh. to somebody. And as Joe said in his review, like you'd have to find Joe on the street to be like, here's, here's, my, here's amiibo. my amiibo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe, in a year where we also got mario maker 2 which is this like incredibly robust like tool set how do you feel the dungeon creator stacks up is it even comparable is it something that like people will make well, cool dungeons out of that's it i wanted to find uh something that felt like a little mario maker for zelda because i think everyone wants a super zelda maker sure like, yeah that would be the best um it makes me sad that like not only is this pretty low kind of effort on the kind of player side, you put down these jigsaw pieces and they have to be the jigsaw pieces they are. You don't get to customize them. You don't get to move a, move them around all that much. Even move where the doors are in those rooms. Um, 
the element that's missing to me as well is like theming there's mm-hmm. this odd thing that you you get these tiles and you're like oh i'm going to build this kind of dungeon and then you have to have like here's a bit from a lava dungeon here's a bit from a water dungeon and they don't it doesn't feel like you're building a place you're just building a jigsaw set that only kind of notionally fits together right um, and I, I actually found myself using the easiest rooms to get through just to start unlocking stuff quickly because it yeah. just became tedious and i have i have a theory about why this uh this mode is sort of gimped um, and that's because if it was great, they would have to charge you to go online to play it. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, like, I, I, I think that's like the thing about Mario Maker is like the first time around, you know, that was free and you could share levels. And now that is sort of intrinsically connected to their online ecosystem and they have to justify pay, getting you to pay for that. And so this, uh, it'd be weird to have like a paid side mode in a mainline story-driven Zelda game. So I think it's just, they, they made it kind of like limited. Well, if if I may, I think probably the, I don't think you're wrong, but the other factor that goes into that is m- making games have online functionality, especially with like level creators that you then share is not easy, mm-hmm. right? Mm. I, I, I've, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I once had an uh, indie developer tell me that um, however long you think your game is going to take to develop, if you have any sort of online functionality in it, double that. Wow. wow. Just like, that's crazy. Does not matter the game or the scope of the online. Online play just messes with stuff. Mm. So it could be also that they just, like you said, they didn't want to invest the resources to overcomplicate that system when probably like that is just a side thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. We spent a lot of time uh, talking about the not so great part of this game. And I just wanted to reiterate that this game is fantastic. We yep. did give it a 9.4. Uh, one of the biggest switch releases of the year. Tom and I haven't had a ton of opportunity to spend time with the game, um, but looking forward to diving into that tonight. Uh, but Tom has spent quite a bit of time with the Nintendo light, uh, Nintendo switch light. So Tom, uh, you reviewed the game, or you reviewed the Switch Lite, or are in the process of. Yes. Um, the original Switch review in 2017, we gave it a 7.0, and then you re-reviewed it last year and gave the Switch an 8.3. Yes. Um, now you're reviewing the Nintendo Switch Lite, and what what do you think? How many honks are you going to give it? Uh, currently, our review in progress, I have it as a temp score right now as an 8.0. Great. Um, so that's uh, it's completely subject to change. This is a thing is like, we got our review unit on Tuesday afternoon. Um, we had to actually make the review yesterday. Brian and I did this in lieu of a like fancy edited uh, full-on video review. We did like a conversation, kind of breaking down our initial thoughts on it. Um, and then we made the review yesterday, and that would have left me with like 24 hours right. of playtime and testing, which for a handheld device especially where I want to be playing it on the train, you know, I was playing it on the train uh, on the before the embargo drop with like a sweater over me so that no one could see me playing it, right? Like it Ooh, was top secret switch. Yeah, it was like it was it was not the way you should be testing that on your commute. Um, so time I wanted out. to wait, spend wait, a wait, time. wait, wait. You're on the train with a sweater over your switch, just like huddled up. Yeah. Just like making sure no one else. And can it. you tell us about any of the strange looks that you might have received for something? <laughs> well, like well that? I can't. I was under a sweater. <laughs> that is fair. the one hundredth least weird thing on San Francisco public transportation. <laughs> That's okay. He was you're right. Clothes. You yeah. Know, it wasn't like the sweater was the only thing he had. I don't um, know. I don't. I mean, we know Tom pretty well. I feel like that could go either way. That's true. He honest. might just go bow tie only in the morning. <laughs> Just just jeans and a bow tie. Um, but the point being, uh, I, I've spent a fair amount of time with this, 
more than like Seth got to play at his preview demo or whatever. I've spent a lot of time. I really, really enjoy it, but I, there's a lot more to test. There's a lot more situations to use it in mm-hmm. before we give a final review. Um, but yeah, I'm loving it so far. The, the thing that immediately jumped out to me uh, is A, the color. We got this yellow one. If you're watching the video, you can see uh, we have the yellow guy. I think Joe. Oh, come on. Joe has the turquoise on, on screen. Um, nice. I yeah. didn't even know you had that. How'd you get that? Yeah, little secret. Oh, <laughs> oh I stole it. Nice. Yeah. There uh, was this guy with a sweater on on the train, <laughs> and I just... <laughs> um, the thing that maybe, Joe, you can you can attest to this for the turquoise, because at least for the yellow, the color immediately was more interesting to me than any of its marketing material. Yep. Yep. Where, like, all the marketing material makes it look very shiny and bright, and then you get this actual device, and it's completely matte, and it's very mm. muted color. It's not... As in your face, and as a result, it looks so much more appealing to me. Um, the second thing I noticed is y- you pick it up, and it's like so light. It is yeah. featherweight, um, and, and hence the name. Yeah, I mean, it's an appropriate name mm. uh, to the point where I was using this thing, and it doesn't feel too small. And I was using it, and I was like, man, this doesn't really feel much smaller. It feels lighter, but it's not like so much lighter. And then I looked at my switch, and I was like. Oh, that's big. Mm-hmm. And then I picked it up and I was like, oh, that's heavy, right? Like it it is is it immediately makes the original switch look bad. And not like the saying the switch is bad. It's just that it is so much slicker. It is so much more refined. It's so much easier to hold. It's just a, a wonderful little package. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's not sort of as profound as something like the first time you played a DS Lite versus the launch DS that looked like a layer cake. Right. Um, but it's sort of close to that feeling of like you got so accustomed to something for so long and then, you know, moving over to this much lighter, much more ergonomic form factor uh, it just makes you look at the old thing and go like, oh, huh. Wow, how did I do that for so long? Uh-huh. That said, um, you know, th- there's, and you'll get into it right now. There's, there's, this is sort of an edge case switch. Yeah, this is not really. I don't think I would not recommend this one to everybody. It's not for mm. everybody. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, you gave the switch last year. You gave it an eight point three, but mm-hmm. you're trending on this one at an eight point oh. What, what, are, what are some of the negatives here? Uh, the, the biggest thing is just kind of, you know, it's cheaper. It looks nicer. It has a better kind of structure to it. Mm. Um. I, and this is something I've actually been feeling out like the last day or so since after I finished the the review in progress. But like the buttons feel great on it. The D-pad feels great. They have a little more action, the face buttons, and they're really, really nice. Um, the the kind of drawback of that is that it's missing a ton of stuff, right? Like it's missing rumble. It's missing uh, the auto brightness adjustment. It can't dock onto a TV, which is like a huge loss. The Joy-Cons don't come off and there's no kickstand, so you just fundamentally can't play things like Snipper Clips or Mario Party without spending a bunch of money on external Joy-Con, and even when you do spend a bunch of money on external Joy-Con, you have to play it on a small screen that you have to get a secondary stand for. Yeah, It's like there are certain things that the system just fundamentally isn't designed for that limit it really, really hard in some of those areas, especially like Motion controls are fine for like Breath of the Wild's bow aiming, like that. That those little tiny little movements are fine. But as soon as you start to get into a shrine and you have to do those hammer puzzles where you have to physically move your entire switch yep. and you can't see the screen anymore, 
it's just it's borderline unusable in those cases and obviously that was the same as when you had the base switch and you had to do that in handheld mode but that has the option of kicking up the kickstand taking off the joy-con and doing that yeah the the thing about this one and people have been making this joke for a long time but they're like oh it's a switch that doesn't switch because they think it you know it doesn't go on your tv it's just a handheld only thing um the thing that i, I think is sort of like uh, the th- less spoken about is the versatility you have with the with the launch switch in terms of like bringing out an airplane, popping open the kickstand, taking off the Joy-Cons, and playing like that. Yeah. Now, that is handheld mode. You are not holding the system in your hand, but this is something you can't do on this unless you brought a kickstand and brought a spare set of Joy-Con, which you could, and I think if you added all that up, it would still be you know smaller than the base Switch, but it's just like it turns this single-use item into something that's more of like a bag of peripherals. Yeah, and... and uh Actually, hilariously enough, that's not handheld mode, Brian. That's tabletop mode. Oh. So you're saying the Switch Lite is like a baby in that it's much smaller than a normal person, and also you have to take a lot of stuff with you when you take it out on the road. (laughs) Yes. Mm, Got it. Joe, you've also been playing with the Switch Lite. What are some of your impressions? Honestly, the thing I want to go back to, because Tom mentioned it briefly there, is the face buttons feel so good. Mm, I can't stop pressing them. I was trying to work out what they... I know, it's weird. I just sit there. Um, (laughs) And uh, I was trying to work out what they reminded me of. And Matt in our office pointed out that they feel way more like the Pro Controller buttons. uh, The Switch Pro Controller. And those feel really nice as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it is that form factor. It's that feeling of using something that feels really nicely designed um the only thing that i keep thinking is just what happens if i get joy-con drift on this thing like yeah. what what is what is the out for that now right because i've You'll got send the whole two sets of joy-con I, I can send off the ones i have right but i i don't want to send away my whole switch like it seems crazy so i'd love that i'd love to hear nintendo go yeah we fixed that problem by the way but nothing's come out about that yeah so and- it, it is a worry on the plus mm-hmm. side it'll never be bricked by a third-party dock <laughs> there is that. Uh, Sorry, that. bud. Uh, but the, bu- the, bu- the face buttons are awesome. Like, yeah. They, they don't have mm. that round bubble feel to them. Well, even more than that, they de- flat. They depress more. Yeah. They actually, mm. the, the, the technical term with like, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> the technical term with keyboards is action, which is what I said earlier. It's just that how much does the button move when you press into it? Um, and the Joy-Con buttons, they don't really go at all they're very very shallow right um and these buttons actually have a bit of give to them without losing that clickiness and it's yeah joe you're right they're just they feel a lot a lot better um Mm. and it's something that i'm appreciating more and more as i use this device more it feels in a in a way that the switch doesn't it feels like a proper handheld device a proper Nintendo handheld, right? Yeah. The Switch is a wonderful handheld, and the fact that it can play these incredible games on the go is incredibly impressive. And this feels like Nintendo going, okay, let's get back to our roots of designing really nice handheld devices that don't have to be held back by all this other stuff with the TV and the Joy-Cons and all that jazz. And they completely succeeded in that, but the trade-off is it doesn't have all that stuff. Yeah, and to me, this is like also Nintendo sort of putting the nail in the coffin in the 3DS. You know, like this oh, yeah. is a genuine handheld. It's only meant for handheld play. It is yep. meant to sort of replace this one vertical that they had for the last, you know, couple decades. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time with it. I only played it briefly at your desk, and my initial thought was that I didn't really like the way it felt because I fear change, but I think, that's just a, <laughs> I think it's just a muscle memory thing, honestly. Like, picking it up, it just felt, like, very, very light to me, which, obviously, that's the name of it, but it was just... 
uh, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like I like just playing it for as little as I did. I was like, I'm not really sure if I like this. I need to spend more time with it before mm -hmm. I can give you like an actual opinion on that. Um, but that is the Switch Lite. Your final review is coming down. Probably next week. Probably um, next week. Yeah, probably next week. Okay. Uh, probably by the time NVC goes up next week, we'll have a final score on it. But that sort of depends on if there are any lingering questions, which I don't think there will be beyond what Joe has already raised, which is, How do you, you know, yeah. Joy-Con Drift wasn't an issue for the Switch yeah. until months afterwards. Sure. And we only realized then it was this big thing. And we're not going to wait months and months to put a final score on well, this, but it is a concern. The one lingering question, which you and I talked about figuring out a way to convey the story to our audience is like, how do you make two switches work? Which is way oh, too yes. complicated to answer right now. So we'll, we'll pocket that, Yeah, which you can do now. Um, but if you check out my review, I have a big blue box out in the middle of the review that kind of breaks down. Hey, if you're thinking of this as your second switch, here are some of the things to consider that are a little bit annoying with it. Um, yeah. So it's both uh, easy and kind of a pain. Look yeah, for Tom's much. final, final review next week. And remember, if you see any weirdos on the bus with sweaters over their heads, they're probably just playing Nintendo Switch lights. Um, we talked a lot about those games and those systems. So we're running short on time for Sayonara Wild Hearts. So Joe and Tom have been playing this super cool game in three minutes or less. Please tell me what you think of this game, what it is, who should play it, why you should play it. Go. Uh, Cyanar Wild Hearts is essentially like a, they call it an interactive pop album. Great, uh, and it's basically a rhythm style game. Think uh, along the lines of something like Res, Res, or something like that. Um, but it's just this weird, amazing fever dream of a game that is so fast paced and so colorful, and the music rules, and it's constantly changing things up on you. Where like one moment you're on a motorcycle, and then like another motorcycle comes up to you, and suddenly you're both standing on your motorcycles, having like a button timing sword fight, and then the motorcycle turns into a plane, and you fly off, and then there's Spoilers. like anime poses. It's just like a really weird, amazingly cool, strange game, and I'm like head over heels in love with it. I it took me an hour and a half to beat, and then. I immediately played it again, and I've been playing my favorite songs here and there on the train all week. That's awesome. Joe? Uh, I had such an unbelievably quick turnaround on this from going, what is the point in this? And then going, <laughs> reaching the first full song uh, and going, yeah. oh my God, this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't want to spoil what the kind of stuff you do is Thanks, this, Joe. but as it goes on... Uh, there have been about six separate times when I've gone, I'd take a whole game of this. Yeah. Like, yeah. what you're doing is so much fun for such a short time. Like, it's that Mario effect where you, you, you're like, why isn't this mechanic all the way through the game? Oh, it's because there's ten of them. Yeah. Like, it's so good. Yeah. I and, love it. And to Joe's point, too, the first five or so songs are, like, brief. Like, they're, they're, mm. they're too short, I'd say. And then you get yes. to that one where it's, like, an actual song with, like, multiple choruses. And it's just, like, it clicks. It is so, mm. so cool. Yeah, this is a game that I've been tracking for a while. Um, I'm really, really stoked to play it. I think visually it looks stunning. Um, not, not like, it looks unlike anything else, really. Um, and... I just am a sucker for like a good rhythm game and also like a good pop album. So uh, yeah. this is right up my alley. I can't wait to play this and I'm bummed that I haven't had an opportunity to yet. I gave my code to Joe because I was, I wanted him to play it for the show. <laughs> I, I will um, say real quick. Also, we do have a full review on IGN. Uh, our reviewer, Kyle, Kyle Hilliard gave it a 7.9. Uh, and just to to raise some of the things he, he mentioned in that it is fairly easy. It's not a game that is meant to, overly challenge you unless you're going like full-on score attack for it otherwise it's it's really just an experience of like this is so weird and cool and that's at least the appeal to me um i thought you reviewed it 
No. I thought you reviewed all Switch games. No. Oh, well. It's a lie. You learn something new every day. Joe reviewed one today, even. I don't know which one you're talking about. Um, you had an opportunity, <laughs> uh, Joe, you were talking about Divinity Original Sin earlier, mm. and it turns out our friend Tom and our friend Casey got to sit down and talk with uh, one of the developers of that game. Can you tell us a little bit about this interview before we throw to it? Yeah, we're going to throw to an interview. Uh, Casey and I interviewed Sven Vinke, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, who is the founder and CEO of uh, Larian Studios, and we just basically basically got to pick his brain about Divinity Original Sin 2 and the process of porting it over and uh, some of the challenges and some of the draws of that. And it's a really fun little thing. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's take a look. Here we go. Hey everyone, Casey and Tom here with Sven Vinke, founder of Larian Studios. He's going to talk to us about Divinity Original Sin 2 for the Switch, the Definitive Edition. So the first Divinity Original Sin 2 came out for PC in 2017. And then the Definitive Edition and Console Edition came out in 2018, and now we finally have it for Switch. Can you tell us a little bit about it first? Um, so, Divinity... Uh, hi, by the way. <laughs> Hello! Welcome! Thank you so much for joining uh, us. <laughs> so, Original Sin 2 uh, is a uh, turn-based RPG uh, in which you set out with uh, either on your own or with a party of up to four players on a quest to, uh, to become a god. And uh, it features an incredible amount of freedom. Uh, you can play in many, many, many ways. Uh, it has a combat system that's a lot of fun. Uh, and um, we always wanted to have it work on the Switch because it is a very natural way uh, to play uh, a game like this on the go because it's turn-based. Uh, so I'm very happy that we finally managed to get it working because it took us a long time to, uh, to, to get it sorted out. And we're also really happy with the quality of the port uh, because it, it, it plays seamlessly. Uh, so very happy with it. Did you always plan to have the uh, a year after PC release have consoles and a year after the, uh, the, the rest of the consoles come out for Switch? Uh, so when we launched the PC version, I wanted all focus to be on the content of the game. Uh, and so uh, I knew from experience that if we were going to try to do a cross-platform release, we would probably have to jeopardize some of the content. And so uh, I never thought we were going to get it to work on the Switch. So it was an experiment. <laughs> so once we figured out how to do uh, the game with a controller well on the PS4 and the X1, uh, the next challenge was, okay, how hard can we optimize this game? All right, so how hard can we do it without uh, losing the quality? Uh, and so, to be honest, for a very long time, we didn't think it was going to ship. Uh, it was just like something that was, was going on in the background, and the team that was working on it, they presented milestone after milestone, and like, oh, well, still a long way ahead, still a long way ahead. And then suddenly, uh, it was like, hey, hold on a minute, this is really playing well. Uh, and so there was a long list of problems to solve, So, uh, but we started solving those. And so here we are today. We have a, a Switch version of Original Sin 2, which you can play uh, in multiplayer on the Switch, uh, even with cross-saves uh, with PC. So it's, it's really, really cool. The, the, there's, it's an interesting thing because there's not a lot of games like this out on Switch really at all. Um, yeah. and, and I think that, you know, more and more stuff is coming and being ported to Switch and everyone's very excited about that. But can you give me like a little bit of like the developer behind the scenes? Like what is, what makes it a, like so desirable to come to Switch, but then also be like, what makes it such a challenge? Because it seems like people really want to be on the console, but also have trouble doing so a lot of the time. 
So uh, I can give you a very honest answer on why I wanted to be on Switch because I'm looking for games like this to play on the go. Mm. Uh, so my a lot of my life is traveling, and so most of my gaming, to be honest, is on the Switch these days, sitting on a plane. Uh, so I need games like this in my life, and there's very very little to be found on the Switch right now. So, so this I hope was, that this was totally selfish. Super. <laughs> I can- I'm still like when a plane takes off, I start up into the breach. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's very, very, very selfish. Um, so that's one uh, one reason. I mean, and our lives have become more mobile, also, right? So you you play at home on your big screen, but then you move, and you don't necessarily want to stop playing. So you want to be able to continue playing. That's where the cross save came from. Um, so, but the, the reason why it's hard is because, uh, yeah, it doesn't have as many CPUs or it doesn't have the GPU that the bigger system has. And so, uh, especially when you're making a game that's multiplayer, like Original Sin 2, uh, which actually has a server running in the background, also on this poor Switch, that has to simulate forced gameplay sessions simultaneously. That's a lot of lot to ask of the silicon that's on the inside. And so it's not that it's impossible, obviously, otherwise it wouldn't work, uh, but it requires a lot of extra effort to, 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 to get it to run. And um, there are always compromises that you have to make. And so the question then is like, to what point do you want to make a compromise? There's a certain point where you say, okay, that's a compromise I don't want to make. And because the game suffers tremendously from it, which is why I'm, I'm happy that we managed to, 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 to get it to work. And that server thing is really interesting because I feel like a lot of the times people just assume like, oh, it's, you just tune down the graphics, right? And that'll yeah. make it work. And it's not just that, it sounds like. No, I mean, like memory is a very big challenge. Uh, so uh, we are spoiled on the other systems uh, for memory. So, um, but the gameplay requires a lot of memory. And so we still have to get all of the same gameplay working on a Switch. And um, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 is a game in which the party can split itself apart and go in four different directions on one big map. And so we have to simulate those four sessions of the players all on one of these Switches who's acting as a server. So, uh, and to get that to work, because one of the key things, and I, I hope if, if you try it out that you notice that is, it had to run consistently at 30 FPS so that it felt smooth as you were going through it. So getting that to work together with all that multiplayer, considering all the stupidities that you can do in the game, like exploding entire villages, uh, <laughs> was, <laughs> was quite a challenge. Can you tell me the, what you're most proud of accomplishing on the Switch version and the thing that you're most disappointed about having to cut? So uh, I am super happy that we got the cross saves to work uh, because that's not only a, a technological uh, achievement and we're the first game to feature it, cross saves between Steam and, and, and Switch, uh, but it's also the fact that we got and Nintendo and Valve to talk to each other, get all of this going. Like uh, this all started at the breakfast uh, with, with the guy from Steam and said, well, why can't we do this, guys? And they said, yeah, why can't you? What does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> we, we went to Nintendo and says, well, why can't we do this? And they looked at each other, yeah, why can't we? And then suddenly things started happening. We were really awesome about it. So I'm really happy about that. I'm also really happy about the fact that it actually runs really well. It's really playable. It's not like a port where you say, I'm not going to finish it. It actually really plays well. Uh, the one thing that we had to drop was split screen. Uh, that's uh, when we thought about it originally, obviously, because we had the two controllers. We were saying, "Oh, split screen is going to be awesome on this thing," but that was just too much. Uh, like it, it, it just we tried, uh, but it, it, there was no way that we we're going to get it to run uh, fast enough. So that was the sacrifice that we made. Uh, I, I have to ask, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but any chance that fans of the original will get to see the first of any original sin come out on Switch at any time in the future? 
Oh, we've, we've talked about it, obviously. Uh, the problem is that uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 is running on what we call 3.5 of our engine. And uh, DOS 1 is working on, I think it's 2.0. So it wouldn't, they just, the engines are not the same anymore. So we would have to do a tremendous amount of effort uh, to get DOS 1 to run on it. Um, and um, we use some middleware in our game. So we'd still have to get that middleware to work also. So we're not even sure if you would have the middleware working on our, on our current versions. I haven't checked that. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm sad, uh, not necessarily going to happen. Yeah, okay. sound, sounds like it's a little more than just a, a take what you did on DOS 2 and move it over sort of thing. You'd have to pretty much start over. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, there, would be a, there would be a big step involved in getting it. I'm not saying that it's impossible. Maybe, who knows, you know, like, I mean, we've said things in the past that we were never going to do and then we did them. So um, I don't know. We'll see. But right now, I can honestly say nobody's working on it. Can you, so you told me that you weren't sure if you were going to get Divinity Original Sin 2 working on the Switch. When did you mm -hmm. start working on it? And at what point, how recently did you know it was going to work? Uh, so we had a, a team uh, from Spain. They're called uh, Blitworks. They're awesome people. So uh, they did uh, most of the Switch ports for us. Uh, and so they've been working on it uh, since last year, uh, a bit more than last year, I would say. Well, those conversations happened around the same GDC and E3 that we were talking uh, to uh, the people at Valve, if my memory is correct, because it might be a little bit wrong there. Uh, so, and uh, yeah, they they started uh, going through all of the code, looking for ways of optimizing it. It took a long time to first getting to run, to basically get to, get to the main menu. And once uh, the main menu was there, it was the first arrival on the beach of Fort Joy, because that's where we defaulted. We didn't do the tutorial. Uh, and then for a long time, it was like, well, I can get to the gates of Fort Joy, which is like the first hub in the game, uh, but it crashes because it runs out of memory. And then eventually we got that area to work. And then we went to the next map, which is even bigger, which is Driftwood. Uh, and so it, it never got there because it crashed right away. And then it went to the mother of all memory nightmares, which was Arcs, the main city, uh, which really required a lot of uh, memory because there's a lot of NPCs clustered together. Uh, and so that crashed quite a long time uh, that we were running out of memory. Uh, so by then we had systems that were automatically testing playthroughs through the entire game, seeing if there's enough memory there, if performance is okay, giving heat maps where you can see red spots, problem, green spots, okay. And so eventually the entire heat map turned green. So yeah, okay. They've did it. They've done it. Well, maybe there might still be some yellow spots. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really interesting to hear because you said also that it was like you didn't think it was going to happen, and then suddenly it sort of seemed like it could. And I, I imagine that's sort of one of those serious things where if you are in a city, if there, you know, if the whole game is running fine, but there's one city that you enter it and you just immediately crash the game every time. Yeah. Once you fix that, it suddenly looks a little bit brighter out right like it, it suddenly seems a little more doable that's the thing with optimization right so every single time you solve a bottleneck you don't know what's going to come after because that one bottleneck blocked all the rest and so it can be incredibly frustrating because you can just go like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these bottlenecks that you encounter and then suddenly you say hey there's nothing blocking me anymore maybe some edge cases but and you've solved it and that's the that's the thing. So I think that we, we went through a very uh, dark valley uh, with the port before the light started coming uh, at the end of the tunnel. My metaphors are a bit wrong here, but uh, the this 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 was literally it. So 
I mean, like the, the producer uh, that worked on it is sitting uh, very close to me to see if I, I'm saying everything correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, I, he was just telling me that it's a miracle that, that, that it worked out because there was moments where I really thought, okay, it's never going to work. I mean, we're going to have to give up here because we just keep on hitting wall after wall after wall. Um, so yeah, we, con we consider it quite an achievement. Well, I'm su super happy that Divinity Original Sin 2 Definitive Edition is available on the Switch now. It's been available since September 4th, which was, a, honestly, that was my favorite announcement from that uh, <laughs> Nintendo Direct, because I did not expect it at all, especially with the cross-cloud saves. I just thought it was amazing. It was a great surprise. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah it's got, it got a lot of attention, so that, that worked out. It was, uh, it was cool from Nintendo also to do that. <laughs> and I have to ask you while you're here, it's okay if the answer is no. Or but, no comment. Or no comment. <laughs> but is there any possibility of getting Baldur's Gate 3 on the Switch years in the future? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to... I I honestly don't know. I don't know what the next Switches are going to look like. Um, on this particular Switch, uh, that might be a bit problematic. I mean, it, it, it does... Uh, th there are quite a lot of upgrades that have <laughs> been done on BG3, so I think it would be very, very hard. But then again, you never say never again. You never know, you know. I mean, maybe we'll figure out some magic trick uh, and, and it'll work. I mean, like, uh, I just hope, I mean, uh, as personally as a fan, I hope that the next Switch is going to have, like, triple the power and triple the battery life. And <laughs> so that you we that, can... Nintendo? <laughs> <laughs> uh to do the no it's a, i mean it's an amazing device so yes, it's uh, absolutely. Uh, it, i just hope that it's going to keep on it has a very long life with lots of upgrades that we can keep on playing all the games that we're playing on other consoles also when we're on the go this is uh yeah so while we have you here what is your favorite game on the nintendo switch that isn't divinity original sin 2 <laughs> well, I, re I already referred to it it's into the yeah. breach right. i mean like I never played it on PC, so I, I discovered it on the Switch, and so I just kept on playing it. It's the game that I kept on going to. My other uh, go-to game uh, is Dead Cells, uh, so I spend a lot of time playing that also. I have a harder time playing the, the, the big third-person uh, games on the Switch. That doesn't go that well for me. It's better, maybe, I don't know, it's probably my... I have very big hands. Uh, so, But the, the things that are slower-paced, I, I like playing a lot. Do you have any last questions, Tom? No, I'm good. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. This was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Take care. And that was Sven Vinke, the founder of Larian Studios, talking about Divinity Original Sin 2. We're going to get right back to our regular programming. Thank you again. Bye. Listen! Wow, what a great interview that was that I definitely just watched right now live. A quick note on that too, Sven mentioned a trailer that was dropping. He said today that was actually a few days ago, so you can go watch this trailer about how they incorporated uh, Steam cloud saves into the Switch version and the process of that. It's very silly and fun. Time travel is difficult. It is. Yeah. So now it is time for our favorite game, Question Block. Game you guys, of the year. You guys ready to play? Yeah. First question comes from our friend Stealth. Uh, you can follow him at Stealth40K. Good dude, great Twitter presence. Uh, he's been a fan of MVC for a long time. He says, now that Grezzo is done remaking Link's Awakening, what Nintendo game would you like to see them remake next? I mean, the obvious answer is the Oracle games, right? But I think the one that really needs it is Skyward Sword. That is the game that needs the mm. most amount of work. I think there's a lot of good stuff buried in there underneath the very frustrating stuff like mm -hmm. housing and you know them reminding you how much a rupee is worth every time you pick one up uh 
and I, it's that's a, that's one that's like sort of connected to one system specifically. And I would love them to find a way to port that to Switch, um, maybe with optional motion controls, and maybe just let us use joysticks. Yeah, I also was going to say Skyward Sword, but uh, you took that and all of my good points. So I will say Minish Cap, just because I like the Oracle games, but I think Minish Cap is a better game. Tom? Does it have to be Zelda? Nah. Yoshi's Island. The original? Mm. Yeah. What the heck? That game is almost perfect. I know, but... Didn't you just... You didn't, just finished Brian, a playthrough, right? Wasn't Link's Awakening almost perfect? Yeah. Okay, like, that's I think, fair. I think if they did a Link's Awakening-style remake of that game where they just faithfully recreate it and then add a little bit and tweak a little bit here and there to loosen out some of the some of the rough edges like mm. i think that would be awesome mm. joe you got any opinions on this trick answer don't make them remake things let grezzo make a game they made, street <laughs> pa- they made some of the street pass games they're amazing oh, I love yeah, street that's games. true let's do that again that's such a good answer that is a really good answer <laughs> Um, okay, the next question comes from Carl DeNovio in our Facebook group. That's a uh, uh, Nintendo Voice Chat podcast forums on Facebook. He asks, um, who at IGN can do uh, the longest handstand? Definitely not me. I think probably Casey. I think Casey is probably like very good at a handstand. I bet Jobert. She works out a lot. Jobert, Jobert, yeah. Jobert is probably, he's got a lot of upper arm strength. Yeah, and he's, he's lower to the ground, so he's got less to balance. De- uh Joe, who in the uh, IGN UK office could do a handstand? Uh, I'd say Mr. Dale Driver. Mm-hmm. He's he's a powerful unit of a man, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also not he's not like he's he's that lean muscle. Mm-hmm. I reckon he I reckon he doesn't need to hold up much, but he's got a lot to hold it up with. Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. That was handstand chat. Um, Robin Friend, <laughs> uh, also over on the NBC, NBC, NBC podcast forums, asks, for those getting a Switch Lite, what would you say are the games that truly shine the most in handheld, not gimmick-wise, but gameplay-wise? Oh, man, that's a good question. That's why I put it on the list. Uh, Witcher 3. Hmm? Everything we've seen of that game docked does not look great. But on handheld, <laughs> it really shines. And I think if you shrink the screen, it's going to look even better. Yeah, I do find that those get those sorts of games, like I, I mentioned that I've been playing a lot of Dragon Quest Eleven, and that game looks amazing in uh, docked mode, but it looks even just like a little bit sharper in handheld mode. So yeah. I would say probably Dragon Quest. Yeah. I have no idea. Hollow okay. Knight. Hollow Knight? Hollow Knight. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so beautiful and looks incredible on the Switch screen. But it has the sort of ambience of a handheld game whilst being gigantic. Oh, I love it so much. It's perfect. I won't talk about Hollow Knight because then we would be here all day. Yeah, I was <laughs> actually surprised that you didn't have a bigger reaction to Joe's. Uh, I'm trying to there. contain myself. You look I'm, like I'm it. In, I'm in that sort of period where I've like put myself into a cocoon waiting for Silk Song, and until then, I like can't use that energy. I need to just store. You got to just keep it locked away. Yeah, I understand. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Um, Charles Hart over on Twitter asks: If you decided to eat a surfetched, should you eat it with its leak to enhance the flavor, or without its leak so that it could be passed on to another surfetched of its kind? Oh, I have an answer for this. Okay. Clearly, I think Brian is right that the leek has evolved into a green onion, and mm-hmm. I think that that green onion is overripe, and you probably wouldn't want to eat it anyway. Fair enough. I think you could cut the top of it for garnish. Oh, okay. Which is good. Yeah. Good to do. Throw it on salads, mashed potatoes, mm. fun stuff like that. I would eat the whole thing. I, I worry that... Surf- chicken and onions, right? I, I, I worry that Sir Fetched, <laughs> given his uh, penchant for battle, would maybe be like a little gamey. So maybe you got to cut that with like a nice shallot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he'd like mm-hmm. like a Cornish hen. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, that'd be delicious. Why do we always talk about eating Pokemon on this show? Because <laughs> people love to ask these questions. Yeah, I want to do this. 
I, 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 I mean, ate a Pokemon on the show. I'll eat all the Pokemon on the show. I don't care. It's delicious. We're not engaging with the second half of this question, which is that he thinks that if we don't eat the leak, it should be passed on to another one of its kind. That's mm-hmm. like killing someone and giving their shirt to their friends. Like, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, this is this is a weird uh, side note, but I went to a like fancy crab restaurant in Miami that only serves crab claws, and their thesis is basically they will catch whole crabs and take one claw and then throw it back, and so the crab regenerates it. So you don't ever eat the crab, you only eat the arms. So it's an entire restaurant full of arms, and uh, all the crabs are like, well, that was a pain in the ass, but I got a new arm, so you... So, and then they take it again. Do you think that, that, like, the surrounding area of that restaurant is just full of crabs with, like, one big claw yeah, and then, like, like one little getcha. tiny claw? Yeah, and so I think, That's adorable. With, I think with Surfetched, uh, if you took his leak, he'd be pissed, but he'd grow a new one, and you wouldn't kill him. <laughs> this, this scares me. <sighs> I love a good I love a good curveball in the middle of the show. Uh, last question this week comes from Captain Logan on Twitter, who asks: If GameStop ends up closing, uh, what do you think will be the future for old physical games? Right now, I imagine they hold a large collection of gaming history. Will they end up in private collections, or will the rest end up in landfills? Uh, those will be. I mean, you guys were around for like Tower Records going away, right? Yeah, for I mean, sure. That the, those stores got liquidated and then pushed into annexes, which were basically like sister stores, uh, which were extremely liquidated. And you could go in and basically just like find, you know, old like collector's editions and stuff like that, box sets of movies and CDs and stuff uh, for for literal pennies. And those things would start <laughs> off with like twenty percent off, and then would go to thirty percent, forty percent, fifty percent, and then the last week it would basically ninety percent. And they were even selling the shelves. Same thing happened with Circuit City. Like we've been through enough retail apocalypses at this point mm-hmm. that I think uh, we would see it go down like that. And so I think gamers would ultimately get their hands on all of all of their all of their products. Yeah, I don't necessarily feel like games would just end up in landfills. Like obviously the big example here is ET, but mm-hmm. um, that's a bad game. But there's a market out there, a collector's market for just about every platform, every genre, every you know form factor, right? Yeah. Like I myself right now, I'm working on amassing a GBA collection. Why? I don't know. I just feel like it'd be cool to own a lot of those games. Yeah. Um, a lot of the good ones. I don't care about a lot of that like third-party shovelware stuff that's on there. But um, I don't think that the end of a retail store necessarily means the end of physical releases. Like I think that physical releases are doing a good enough job of ending themselves with their digital counterparts, yeah. but um, I don't. Th- I think that there will always, always be a market for a tangible uh, uh, cart or disc or whatever. You know, I think you look at something like limited run games, mm-hmm. um, and they're obviously holding on to that to to a certain degree. Uh, there are games that only get digital releases. That limited run games will be like, hey, uh, we are making a short run of that on Switch, and you can get the box, and it comes with like a keychain and a poster and a sticker and all that fun stuff. I think that will always exist in some form but i do think that this will be a pretty big blow to the larger conversation about physical versus digital video games Mm -hmm. gentlemen anything on that i think it's interesting because you you look at this stuff uh, like the kind of physical first uh like retailer market seems to keep going down but secondhand stuff is everywhere still Uh, Certainly over here, like you can find secondhand games in on every high street. And I think it feels like we're kind of possibly getting towards the end of the retailer selling you the original version of that game. Maybe that will become direct to consumer, like with limited run games and that kind of thing. But I don't think the secondhand market's going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like people still like owning things. Um, mm-hmm. So it turns out that's the basis for like the economy. 
so it's <laughs> it kind of it kind of works. Right. Well, I, I feel like that probably about wraps us up this week. It's been a big jumbo size show this week, so thank you to each of you for hanging with me. Uh, Brian, what's something that you've done this week that you're proud of, and where can people find you when you're not on NBC? Uh, you can find me on Beyond. You can find me on Twitter at Agent Bizzle, and I wrote a bunch of Wiki Guides content for Link's Awakening, uh, and I did a lot of it sort of in my weird voice, so hopefully it's fun if you get stuck. If you're looking for bottles and hidden Nintendo figurines, uh, we got your back. Give us an impression of the weird voice. I mean, this voice is just like writing, writing. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Dang. I was really hoping that it was like some kind of squeaky voice. I did the whole right. thing as Kermit. Yeah. Great. Um, this week, uh, I've done a lot. We've done a lot of stuff on social that I'm really proud of. I don't need to go into it here, but you can follow IGN on every single platform. And we've got some fun stuff. We've got some news out there. Um, my name is Zach, and you can follow me at ZachariasD on Twitter. And I'm here most weeks on NBC. Tom, what about you? Uh, yeah. Same thing. Which <laughs> you can also follow me at Zacharias D. Cool, um, okay, no, great. Don't follow. don't follow me on Twitter, but do read me my uh, my Switch Lite review in progress, and then maybe the next the final review next week, and then the Goose Game. I'm very very happy with the the Goose Game review that I have working. Several on. honks are coming. It's yeah, uh, watch uh, watch Tom and I's review in progress video too. Yeah, it's like it's we, it's kind of DLC for this episode. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and the Goose Game review is. One of the like the entire time I was writing it, I was basically like, "What would Seth Macy say?" Here? I just I can't imagine it. Like I'm sure it's just chock full of puns. The Goose Game? Mm-hmm. No, I mean your review. Oh, oh, it's too many. Yes, too, like too many. <laughs> yeah, like like too many. <laughs> Joe, take it away. Uh, I'm on on Twitter at two plus two is Joe, uh, and I'm also on the IGN UK podcast, which we talk about. Lots of things that IGN do, not just like our warm beer and wet bacon. And uh, it is wet. we it's weird wet bacon. It is very on. strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. You people are weird. What? With your crispy long bacon. What? Come You're on, describing a delicious thing. How do you make that sound bad? Because <laughs> ours are like tiny, better than crispy. At ours breakfast. are like tiny little pork chops. They're amazing. Okay. <laughs> well, that's a different. Kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I like little pork chops. Stop this. We have to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, and wet I'm bacon. proud of it's. Hopefully, people interested in this stuff will have read the Link's Awakening thing. It's slightly off-brand, but I've started a new series with my friend Simon Cardi where I'm playing The Last of Us for the first time, mm-hmm. and I think it's fun. And there's a new episode on Sunday. Yeah, great first episode of that show. Um, we also didn't get a chance to talk about your Damon X Machina review. I'm sorry. Uh, we ran out of time right. on that. But I will plug uh, that review for you. It's a great review for a game that is okay. Um, yeah. And that's the end of our show. This is NVC Nintendo Voice Chat, IGN's number one Nintendo show, every Thursday at 3 p.m. here on IGN.com and on YouTube.com. Um, if you've got comments, if you've got questions, if you've got concerns, jump on over to the NVC Podcast forums on Facebook and let us know. Uh, special thanks to Logan, our NVC intern, and we will see you guys next week where you can get the thing. Get it. Sweet. <laughs>